0: our lives in language, there's nothing that comes more natural in human communication than to tell a story or recap an event that's taken place in our lives. In fact, it's so natural and happens so often that we're usually completely unaware that we're doing it. If it's lunchtime for you, you've probably already told three or four stories this morning. But have you ever stopped to think about their power? Stories are either the source of our superpowers or our kryptonite. They define where we've been, but they also have the power to define where we go. Welcome to the Love Your Story Podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for a future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of the control we have over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with and making your stories work for you. Power serves you best when you know how to use it. Martha Beck, the nationally renowned life coach, said, The past doesn't exist except as a memory, a mental story. And though past events aren't changeable, your stories about them are. You can act now to transform the way you tell the story of your past, ultimately making it a stalwart protector of your future. Now I realize up front that sounds a little bit hokey, but hear out the whole podcast and you'll understand what we're talking about. Since the beginning of time and recorded history, stories have been the means humans use to informally share experiences, right? They share beliefs, identities, and ideologies. It doesn't matter the culture, the country, or the belief system— We are all united by story. If you're human, you understand and you use story. So, during my master's research in the field of folklore, I studied the personal narratives of hikers, bikers, skiers, rock climbers. You get the idea. The things I found, like how we use stories to build our reputations. For example, when one tells a story about riding their mountain bike along a knife-edge mountain trail. They're inadvertently sharing that they're a skilled mountain biker. They use them to share awe, such as retelling of falling asleep under a dark night sky untouched by light pollution and the billions of stars that become visible in that space. Or we use stories to inspire, such as a story of persevering through a difficult snowstorm, right? We use them to define ourselves, to keep ourselves in cages, to make sense of events. The list goes on and on of the functions that we use these personal narratives for. And understanding these and listening to these and seeing how we use them, this piqued my interest because it was fascinating to discover the multitude of things that we subconsciously use story for, the sheer depth of ways we automatically use it to define our very lives, our self-perception, the whole world around us. As I started working on my PhD dissertation research proposal, I found a new angle that piqued my interest as well, and namely, I wanted to research the differences between how we expect our lives to turn out versus how differently they usually turn out. I found in my research an understanding of how our families, genders, cultures, race, economic status, sexual experience and preference, education, etc., etc., set those expectations for each of us. Which then went on to highlight how our life expectation and the acceptability of our stories are created by a set of imposed laws that are created by our environment. Do you realize what this means? This means that the very stories that define ourselves to ourselves are actually created from a set of criteria that's completely arbitrary and depends upon where you were born and what that culture defined for you. In one culture you may be considered a goddess of perfect living and in a different culture you might be considered an outcast for the same life. And yet there you are, the exact same person. Should our perceptions of personal value and acceptability be taken seriously in the big picture sense when you can see how open to interpretation values and acceptability actually is? As is true with most higher education research, we seek after answers to things that puzzle us, things that we want to make our own peace with, things that we want to understand. And this was no different for me. I was interested in how others expected their lives to turn out and if it met their expectations, primarily because my life hadn't turned out as I had planned or expected. I was born into a family and culture with a prized family ethic. My three divorces have been a source of shame and failure for me. Try dating and telling someone you've been divorced three times. That never bodes well. I usually tell them seven times so that when I say, no, not really, just three, it makes it seem a little bit better. I knew I was a good person despite these horrible experiences that had caused me so much heart-wrenching pain over the years. But it was so far from what I planned. And... I had gender expectations, religious expectations, family and cultural expectations. So studying this topic was personal for me. How do we find peace with our stories? Because they are our stories. So personal, so wonderful. They're the only ones we have. And really, we get to write them. As I studied, I learned fascinating things about story. One of the largest discoveries was realizing there's no hard and fast truth to an event. This comes back to Martha's quote earlier, but depending upon whose perspective you look at an event at, the story would be different because of the vastly different lenses that we all look through. Not only is there variety in what our families expect from us, but also in what our religions expect from us. And what we are expected to do if we're male versus female? What if we're born into money? The way we view life will be vastly different than for those who have lived on minimum wage or struggled for their next meal. All these lenses, and we each have a completely different set, color everything we see. So these understandings began to make me uncomfortable. The idea that first-person accounts could often not be counted on opened a lot of doors for reality checks. As I did more research into the research others had done on the topic... I found academics in psychology, in folklore, and social sciences all acknowledging the control that we have in creating our own stories. I noted the concerns of the legal system regarding such things as the reliability of first-person testimony in court. Even the research my thesis professor did on how the mind over time can believe that we were in certain places or experience certain things that we did not if we hear the story or tell a story often enough. Let me share an example with that. So my professor, her name is Lynn McNeil at Utah State University. She told a story in her paper titled, It Happened to Me, Motivating the Shift from Third to First Person Perspectives in Legends and Personal Narratives. This story that she told was when she was a young girl and she was babysitting. Uncomfortable with answering the door in an unfamiliar home for which she was responsible, sort of the stranger danger, nerve-wracking part of the babysitting adventure. One night, the doorbell rang, and she could see that there was more than one person out there. She was really stressed, but she opened the door a little, and right in front of her, at eye level, was this picture. They were holding a magazine open to the center spread, and she just stood there, frozen, staring at what she calls... A bizarre picture of green rolling hills and a kid playing with a panda. It was the Jehovah's Witnesses proselyting with their watchtower magazine. Well, years later, she heard her friend tell the story. only when her friend told it, her friend was telling it as if it had happened to her. How was it possible that they both had memories of it happening to them? Being an open-minded thinker, my professor realized that there was nothing to prove that she wasn't the one who'd created the memory versus her friend being the one who had created it. Had it really been her experience or had it been her friend's? Both of them swore it was their own. The plasticity of memory is an uncomfortable idea at best. How many people have created memories of things that never happened or saw something happen to someone else or in a movie or over time adopted those memories as their own. To most people, the idea seems ludicrous, maybe something only an unstable mind might wander to, but research shows that it's real. So aside from the terrifying idea that the realities and stories we remember are fluid, ever-changing things as our perspectives and motives, and we'll talk more about the effect motive has on story in future episodes, but the fact that some memories can even just be created right? This is uncomfortable too. The overarching issue here though is that story is not fact. The story of my divorces is told from my perspective. I can focus my story on good things that each man brought into my life. I can focus my story on the horrible betrayals and heart-wrenching events as I see them. I can focus my story in an ever-popular victim mindset or I can focus my story on what I learned. There are a lot of angles I can choose to take with any story. The question I need to ask is which one serves me best? Which perception of your stories serves you best? Now, when I say serves, I don't mean establishes your reputation in a certain way. I mean, which one helps empower and build you? Which one helps you to be your best self, to move forward without the encumbrances of hatred and anger and pain? Which one helps you to feel empowered and rich and actively moving forward in your life? Tears streamed down my cheeks, but the sun had set and my fellow workshop attendees were caught up in their own social circles as our break commenced on the sidewalk outside the Columbus Convention Center. I was completely unconcerned about my show of emotion because the whole group had been through so many emotional experiences that someone crying was hardly new or interesting. The dark of the evening closing in around us cooled the hot sidewalk and the warm summer air was downright delicious after the rampant AC in the conference hall. The hot brick of the building heated by the sun during the long day warmed my back as I sat, knees up, head back against the wall. What's up, a voice said, and I looked up to see my workshop buddy looking down at me. Since the past days had been filled with tears and vulnerability as everyone worked to uncover buried pains that had too long lodged in our psyches, I simply looked up at him and said, I don't know how to not be a victim. I didn't spend a lot of time explaining to him how I don't spend time thinking about past grievances and injustices. I'm not the type of person who goes around complaining about how unfair life is, in fact I felt I was pretty well adjusted to the things that had happened in my life, but at the time There's no doubt that my failed relationships, disloyal friends, deaths, and cruel people I had crossed paths with had been key in forming who I was and how I saw my life. I didn't ask for any of this, I said to him. So how am I not supposed to feel victimized when crappy, painful things happen to me due to other people's choices? Now he spent no time placating me either and simply said, let's reframe it. How would you reframe it? I challenged, my voice tired. What other way is there to see it? I've spent the last 20 years or more with rampant heartbreak over things other people brought into my life. How do you make that look good? Here's what I see, he said. Everyone who cheated on you, misbehaved, lied, broke your trust, abandoned you, abused you, and stabbed you in the back has been extracted from your life. This is their loss they don't get to be a part of your life anymore. On top of that, all your experiences have allowed you to become the strong woman that you are now. They have given you an understanding that you did not have, empathy that doesn't come without experience, and understanding that gives you a depth and beauty that only the trees who weather the storm can claim. On top of that, They have provided you the fodder, the emotion and experience so that you're able to write from a place that can touch other people. And now the past is over and you can close the door on it and get out of your own way as you move into the future you're supposed to have. Using your past life experiences to inform and inspire, but otherwise letting them stay in the past. You're done with them. Or something like that. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what I got out of it. During that 20-minute break and that 5-minute exchange, I finally saw this pile of pain, embarrassment, loss, abuse, abandonment, and all the other crappy, painful words that described my past to me in a way that would allow me to move forward. It wasn't that it would be easy, and that all my problems were solved and my issues of trust were gone, but it gave me a space, a reframe that was honest and real and hopeful, and I could work with that. What if everything crappy that had been part of my life could be repurposed for good? What if I could see from my current vantage point, purpose in the years of pain and deep disappointment? What if who I am now would not have been possible without walking the path I walked? And what if that mattered very much because who I am now is a woman with some degree of wisdom, understanding, and empathy? What if I wasn't a victim, but a heroine in my own story? The hero's journey is fraught with deep challenge, and there would be no hero if it weren't. What if I choose to reframe my story and find the magic, the fairy godmother, the sign at the crossroads when I need it most, the elf that shows up to share a magic word or a riddle I have to figure out? What if, with a little faith, I could begin to see my story from a bigger picture perspective, not just from the current mud bog I'm currently trying to get out of? what if you could too? In the words of Hans Christian Andersen, life itself is the most wonderful fairy tale. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not by any means suggesting that we revamp our stories into lies. Rather, we look deeper into our stories to find the deepest truth. If we need to make things right, then we do. If we need to change a way of being, then we do. If we need to acknowledge that a perception is completely false because well meaning others fed it to us, then we do. It's a serious process that requires strength of character and a real dedication to working through the lies we tell ourselves that do not serve us. I propose that when we look at our full life stories, our victim stories, the synopsis of our lives, we also have the power to choose our perspective and reframe the tales into stories that build and bless, rather than lock us into a box of anger, hate, apathy, or carefully placed armor, as I was doing. On my upcoming podcast, we'll get serious and real with these ideas in much more detail. I'll start breaking down some ideas for you to consider that can help you come to a place where you love your story, even if it didn't turn out as you expected. I'm going to end every podcast with a challenge. And this week, I challenge you to think about your life stories, so you can come to the table next week with your stories in mind. Maybe even think about them from a number of different perspectives, just to see how the story changes. Now, I know that your story feels like a fact, that it's unchangeable, but I promise you there are other ways to see it. Find a way that serves your highest and healthiest purpose. Have a great week out there sharing your stories and I'll meet you back here next week for the next podcast.